Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For the sake of your Son, our Savior. Amen. All right. We are in Psalm 127. This is the last in our uh, Songs of Israel series. So we've been in the Psalms for, for five weeks now. This is our fifth week. Psalm 127. If you'll turn there. If you need a Bible, there's uh, black, some black Bibles in some of the, the seat backs. Those do belong to Christ Church. And if you need a Bible, want a Bible, know someone who wants a Bible, please take it. Um, we can always get more Bibles. So feel free to use those and take those if you need them. All right. Psalm 127. A song of ascent of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when we were still in Scotland, we were um, planning to come back and, and, you know, give it a go to plant a church. And I was asking the Lord for a, a verse, for a passage, for something to cling to from Scripture in this work that we felt that he was calling us to. And he gave us Psalm 127. So in some sense, Christ Church is built on this foundation. I think since our very first meeting at the Merrick's house back in September, of just a few of us gathered around the Bible and, I don't know, tacos or, or something, um, we studied this passage and we prayed this passage and we've prayed it ever since. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And as we've grown into um, something like a church, the Lord has led us into what I think is a really beautiful way. Um, it's a community that loves kids, that loves these kids, and that welcomes kids. And I love that about Christ Church. And so it's incredible to me that while we were focusing on the first half of the psalm, unless the Lord builds the house, the Lord was also preparing for us the second half. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. So because of that, because our story is entangled with this psalm, I was tempted this week. I was tempted to preach in such a way that would be self-congratulatory for how well things seem to be going at Christ Church. That's how I walked into this thinking, we're going to feel really good about ourselves. And the Lord confronted me through the text because it's not about Christ Church. It's not about building houses. It's not about watching cities. And it's not about children. Psalm 127 is about the whole world being put to rights through the kingdom of God being built up and protected as the people of God rest in active dependence. How's that for a mouthful? <laughs> it's about the whole world being put to rights through the kingdom of God being built up and protected as the people of God rest in active dependence. Psalm 127 is not a song set primarily in our story. 
It's set in God's story and the story of God's kingdom. So the setting is Israel. Its author is King Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And its main character is Jesus, not us. <laughs> so with God's help, my goal for us today is to understand the text itself, how this psalm actually fits together, to understand the context and the story that the song was written in, and then to understand how to actually apply that truth to our hearts. Let me pray for help. Father, as we learn to rest in you, we ask your help. We ask your help to um, remove from our shoulders the impossible burden of producing results, um, of making fruit, and let us put it in your very capable hands and learn to rest. Amen. So this psalm, Psalm 127, it's actually baffled me for years. I've loved it. Um, I love the first half, and the second half seemed really disconnected from it. You've got the building and the watching, and then all of a sudden you've got children and arrows, and it felt um, separated, like two psalms kind of married into one. But I want to show you how the psalm is a unity, how it actually holds together and makes sense. Um, there, so there's two themes that are being developed. Two themes in Psalm 127, and then one idea that holds them together. The two themes are building and protecting. And the idea that holds those two themes together is the contrast between anxiety and sleep. And, and that'll make more sense as we go on. So look at your Bibles to the first half of verse 1, and then look down at verse 3. Both of those are about building something. Verse 1a Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And verse 3, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. So verse 1a is about building a house, and verse 3 is about building a family. The word build in Hebrew was used both of literally building things like houses and cities, but also of building families. So God built Eve from Adam's rib in Genesis 2. That's the word used. God built Eve. Cain, in Genesis 4, built a city. Sarai, in Genesis 16, tried to build children for herself by giving Hagar to Abram. So you see the, the ways that the word build is used, both of structures and of families, or even dynasties. And note that the word house is also quite important here. The word house can refer to a temple. Like when David said to the Lord, I'm going to build you a house. So the house can be a temple, but house can also be a family. Like when the Lord said to David, no, I'm going to build you a house. So building structures and families and house temples and families. Okay, that's the flexibility of these words. So verses 1a and verse 3 are both about building something. Now look at the second half of verse 1, that's 1b, and verses 4 to 5. These also belong together. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And verse 4 to 5, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Okay, so we've got watchmen, and then we've got uh, a guy with arrows at a gate. We're talking about protection here. 
right? The word watch means to protect. Watchmen protect the city by standing guard and looking for enemies. So in verse 1, he says it's pointless to guard a city unless the Lord is guarding it. In verses 4 to 5, the city and its gate are protected by the children, like arrows, who we just saw in verse 3 are from the Lord. So the if you're, if you're tracking, uh, you know, 1A and 3 are the Lord must build, the house and the family. And 1B and 4 to 5 are the Lord must guard, the Lord must protect. If he's not doing those two things, it all amounts to nothing. Those are the two themes, building and protecting. Now they're united, they're held together by this idea, the contrast between anxiety and sleep. This is verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That contrast between anxious toil and sleep is the idea in the middle of the psalm that bridges it all together. If we try to build and protect what the Lord is not building and protecting, it's vanity. It amounts to nothing. It's emptiness. And if we try to build and protect out of a place of anxiety and toil, rather than rest in the love of God, as his beloved to whom he gives sleep, it's vanity. It amounts to nothing. That's the point of the psalm. So we can sum up the sense of the psalm like this. Doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way is restful and productive. Doing any work in our way is painful and pointless. More succinctly, fleshly efforts cannot produce spiritual results. Now earlier I said that Psalm 127 is about the whole world being put to rights through the kingdom of God, being built up and protected as the people of God rest in active dependence on God. And to understand that, we need to look at the context of this psalm, the story in which the song was written, the story that the song comes out of. Um, it's poignant that Solomon was the son of David and the builder of the house of the Lord. So the man who built the glorious temple in the Old Testament is the one saying, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And when he was writing Psalm 127, he seems to have been reflecting on two crucial moments in God's story. It's like he has a foot planted in Genesis 2 and 3 and a foot planted in 2 Samuel 7. So we're going to look at those texts and how the ideas taught in those texts inform what Solomon is saying and set it in its context. Both passages, Genesis and Samuel, are about the promise of salvation through the family that God is building. It's the promise of salvation through the family that God is building. First, let's think about Genesis. In Genesis 2, God put Adam in the garden to work and to watch it, to work and to keep. It's that protection word. His job was to protect this garden, this garden temple. And then... After God said, work and watch the garden, he put Adam to sleep 
and built Eve from his side, a bride for this son of God, a helper in the working and in the watching. And the very next chapter, Genesis 3, they failed utterly at the job of watching, at protection. They let a serpent come slithering into the garden, and everything fell apart. And instead of actively depending on God for their good, right, when God says, this is what's good for you, instead of agreeing with him and working within the parameters that he set, they decided to take it into their own hands. They ate the forbidden fruit, and they said, let's do this our way. Our way instead of the Lord's way. And the result was that since they did their own work in their own way, now Eve would have children in pain, and Adam would eat bread out of painful toil. you hear the resonance with Psalm 127? Eating the bread of anxious toil. That's what happens when we choose our way to do the work. But in the midst of all the sorrow that sin brought about, God made an incredible promise in Genesis 3.15. He said this. He's talking to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, God promised that it would be through children that they will be saved from the serpent. Children, that would be the means of setting things right. All things would be put to rights by one particular offspring of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Building, protecting and children are the themes of Genesis 2 and 3 and of Psalm 127. God says, I will build you a family and protect you through the child of promise. That's why I said that Genesis 2 and 3 is about the promise of salvation through the family that God is building. That's the means that God chose to save the world, was a family. Now let's think about 2 Samuel 7 real quick. More than a thousand years have gone by since Genesis, and a lot has happened to God's people, right? They're enslaved in Egypt, and then rescued by God in the Exodus, and brought into this promised land where they're supposed to have rest, and they don't. And eventually, they demanded a king. They said, give us a king like all the other nations, a king who will fight for us, a king who will protect us. They want a king for protection. So God appointed Saul. That didn't go well. Saul failed quickly. So then he appointed a king after his own heart, King David. And one day it occurred to David that he lived in a palace, a grand house, and God lived, so to speak, in a tent. They had been worshiping God. The presence of God was in a, a tent that was mobile and just going around. So he's looking at his own, you know, palace and this little tent and going that doesn't seem right so he decided that he should build God a house King David said I, I've got it in my heart I'm going to build God a house I'm going to build him a temple somewhere for his presence and glory to reside on earth and God responds to him through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 7 L let me read from the first half of or the second half of uh, verse 11 the Lord declares to you, to David, 
that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So David said, God, I'm going to build you a house. And God said, no, I'm going to build you a house. In other words, the Lord was building on the promise of Genesis 3.15, that salvation from the serpent would come through the woman's offspring. Not only that, but from the woman's offspring and David's offspring will come a savior king who will rule and protect God's people forever. So 2 Samuel 7 is about the promise of salvation through the family or the Davidic kingdom that God is building. Now in Psalm 127, Solomon, the son of David, who actually did build the house of the Lord, is reflecting back on the promise to Adam and Eve and back on the promise to his father, David. And he comes to this conclusion that the whole world will be put to rights through the kingdom of God being built up and protected as the people of God rest in active dependence. The promise of God that Solomon takes comfort in is that one day there will be a greater Adam. One day there will be a greater David, a greater Solomon. He's the solid reality to which all these figures in the Bible are just the shadows of. It's Jesus, the promised king, the Messiah, the serpent crusher, the son of David, the son of God. And all our efforts to build and protect and we all build and protect. That's just the human work. Houses, temples, churches, cities, cultures, families, businesses, habits. All our labors amount to nothing if we're not building with God, protecting with God, resting in active dependence on God. I mean, the, all the failures of the Old Testament of God's people to actually do the Lord's work in the Lord's way amount basically to them saying, I'll do it for myself. Like, yeah, yeah, I know God wants to save the world and put everything to rights through, you know, a family or through his law and his people, but you know, we're gonna do it the way that we see fit to do it. Think of Sarai and Abram and Hagar. God said to them, I'm gonna give you a son and through him, the whole world will be blessed. You'll have more descendants than you can even imagine. And they said, well, we're too old to have children, so I'm just going to give my husband my servant. That's how we'll accomplish the promise of God. Fleshly, fleshly efforts cannot produce spiritual fruit. Is there a more beautiful sentence in the psalm? I don't think so. Than this for he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives to his beloved sleep. Yeah. We can burn the candle at both ends. It amounts to nothing. We can spin our wheels, try to protect something that matters, try to do more, faster, better in our own strength. It amounts to nothing. But when we do the Lord's work in the Lord's way, 
active dependence. It's rest. And it's restful because the results don't rely on us. God did not say to Adam and Eve, um, I'm going to send a child, you know, through your line to crush the serpent as long as you, you know, do all these right things. If you work really hard, if you really disciple your kid up right, then he'll crush the serpent. No, God said, I'm going to do it. I will produce the results needed to save the world, to overcome all the sin and sorrow. That's God's job. That's not our job. We get to rest in him in active dependence. So Solomon was peering through time, as it were, to the cross where Jesus was crowned king, the better Solomon. And we can look back at that cross and we can rejoice because we see at the cross that the Lord is still building today. He's still protecting. He's still giving rest to his beloved. He didn't close that shop down 2,000 years ago. He's doing it right now. Remember how the word house meant both temple and family. Well, Jesus is building both, a temple and a family. And it turns out it's the same thing. Who knew? I think Solomon, at least the Holy Spirit knew, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I think three times he says, do you not know you are the temple of God? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's true of you if you follow Jesus. By his death on the cross, Jesus redeemed for God children, sons and daughters. And he fills us with his spirit to make us living temples. Jesus is building and protecting a house. And it's us. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation. And we are just the living stones built on top of that foundation. In other words, this is your story in Christ. Remember, all the way back at our first psalm sermon five weeks ago, the psalms are about and for Jesus, not us first. But if you are in Christ, if you're united to Jesus by faith, that's how they're for you. First it's Jesus' psalm, then it's your psalm. So you're part of God's building project. Which means that the rest that he gives to his beloved, that sleep, he wants that for you too. He actually wants you to be able to lay your head down at the end of a night and sleep. The sort of sleep where you are trusting that everything is okay because it's in the hands of someone deeply good and all-powerful. I think it's how a child feels when they crawl into bed with their parents at night. I'm terrified in my bed when I'm alone. But when I come in your bed, I can sleep. Because mom and dad are here. That's the kind of sleep we have in the Lord. The kind of sleep we can have. So the kingdom of God, built up and protected. As we, God's people, God's temple, God's children, rest in him in 
active dependence. So if you're the kingdom of God, then you are being restored and renewed, built up and protected. That's what his spirit does. Because the Lord is deeply, deeply committed to his building projects. He's got blood equity in it. He's got blood equity in you. Which means that in whatever it is that you toil for, like whatever you're anxious about, whatever good thing you're trying to achieve by your own sweat, Jesus is more committed to your good and your flourishing than you are. Far more. So here's one thing I'm anxious about on a weekly basis. There's more than one, but here's one. Is, is this, is preaching. <laughs> I'm anxious about, um, somebody put it this way last night, writing a hit every week. <laughs> I don't, and it's not possible, right? But it actually causes me anxiety. So I write the sermons, and the temptation is to burn the candle at both ends, to just get my hands in there and massage and hone that sermon and tweak and tweak and tweak and stay up until midnight every night until it's perfect so that I can help you really see Jesus and help you transform into, you know, Christ-like saints. I can't do that. It's sinful. It would be wrong of me. Sometimes it's sinful to not go to bed. Did you know that? I don't do this perfectly. But that temptation is at my heart, me saying, I'm pretty sure that fleshly efforts can produce spiritual results. <laughs> and it's wrong. I can't do that. God invites me through Psalm 127 to do my best, do what I can do, and go to bed. Because I'm entrusting the results to him. Where are you trying by the sweat of your brow to grow fruit? are you anxious about? Psalm 127 interrupts our daily grind and tells us the results are not in your hands. It's okay. We just do what we can and we trust God with the rest. So here we are planting a church, right? A church for the north suburbs of Nashville, but it's the Lord's church. That's why it's called Christ Church. And unless he builds it, everything we're doing here is in vain. So what do we do? We rest in Christ. We, uh, we preach Jesus the best we can. We worship with great music. Um, we do what we can, and then we go to bed. And we just sleep easy knowing that it's not in our hands. It's not our efforts that are going to produce the results that Christ Church wants to see, Right? We want to worship with our neighbors from all ethnicities, all socioeconomic backgrounds. We want to see our neighbors in here worshiping Jesus with us. The Lord must do that. We have steps to take, but we can't make them come. We can't make them worship. We want to see people saved. We want to see people coming in on Sunday, coming back the next week and say, I'm ready to get baptized. The Lord must do that. We cannot mastermind it with altar calls or whatever. That's his work. We just do what we can. I really want to see all of your hearts come alive to Jesus. For I want to see you guys burn. The Lord must do that. I can't preach the fire into you. 
or me. So if there's one thing that I pray that you will remember from this, it's that our fleshly efforts cannot produce spiritual results. Do you want to see fruit, though? Then remember Psalm 1. You must be planted like a tree by the living water. So your job is to delight in God through his word, and his job is to plant you, water you, sustain you, and you'll bear fruit in season. I'm not guessing. Plant, delight in God, and he will bring fruit in your life. He will plant you immovably by his living waters. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, um, I planted, Apollos, he's talking a different metaphor now, I planted, Apollos watered. This is the church planting context. But God gave the growth. We talked about this with the kids, right guys? Remember what did we say? God gives the growth. Yeah. God gives the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants um, and, and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. Mo Pitney gave me that verse a couple weeks ago. Thank you. You might plant the seed. And I might water the seed. Or, you know, Nathan might plant. And Paige might water. God gives the growth. We have work to do. It's just not the work of producing fruit. It's gardening. So we don't achieve conversions. We don't achieve personal holiness. We don't protect and create gospel culture. We can't strategize revival. We can't wrestle our anxieties and depressions to the ground by our own sweat, blood, and tears. We can't do any of that. God gives the growth. The Lord builds the house. Children are a heritage from the Lord. All the fruit comes from him. We just lean on Jesus in faith and entrust the results of our work to him. Now, don't take this to mean that we don't work, right? That's why we've been saying active dependence. There are two people that labor in Psalm 127, the Lord and us. Right? It doesn't say unless the Lord builds the house, no one else is building it. We're co-laborers with Christ. We're, as Paul said, what we just read, we're fellow workers with God. We do work. It's kind of him to even let us work. <laughs> we get to participate with the living God in putting the world to rights. I mean, there's a reason why we often pray for Jesus to come back. He actually lets us participate in bringing the kingdom of God into existence. That's incredible. We do have work to do. So we don't rest on our laurels and expect God to produce results through us. That's not what we do. Paul says, I worked harder than the rest, but not I. Christ. It's God who works through us. So we don't rest on our laurels and expect God to produce results, but neither do we run out ahead of God and try to get out in front of things produce the fruit by our own strength. 
that also amounts to nothing. It's vanity. It's gardening. That's how we grow plants. Put them in the ground, water them, do your best. Weed. God gives the growth. Yeah, you wait. You know how you plant a church? Same way. Exact same way. Do you know how to parent children who you're anxious about their eternal destinies? Same way. We love them, we teach them, we disciple them, we pray for them, we discipline them, we play with them, we go to sleep. We can't make these kids. We can't make them love Jesus. But we can water and we can plant. And then we trust them to God. Do you know how to resolve interpersonal conflict? Same thing. You do what you can do. You move toward the person in love, right? You're vulnerable. You're caring. You're gentle. You exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, but you can't turn that person's heart toward you. You can't incline their heart toward reconciliation and love. Their heart is God's work. So you do what you can do, and then you sleep the sleep of the beloved, and you trust them to God. Do you know how to conquer your own sins? The ones that plague you day after day after day. Where, you know, you might confess your sin to a brother or sister and go, man, it's discouraging that that's the same one I confessed last week and the week before. So how do you conquer your own sins and achieve personal holiness? Same way. You fill your heart with the light of the gospel. You behold the glory of the Lord and the crucified risen Savior. You set good boundaries for yourself, right? Don't do things that you know are going to, you know, can a man hold fire close to his chest and not get burned? Set good boundaries. Be wise. Confess your sins in humility. Trust God with the rest. God gives the growth. We water. We prune. So how do we know that we can entrust the growth to God? It's because of the cross, right? The cross is our moment of certainty as Christians. The cross is... The place where, you know, we read these psalms. I was reading Psalm 136 or 137 this morning. The one that every other line is, your steadfast love endures forever. You, you, you know that one? It's just, it almost gets boring to read because you read the same sentence over and over and over again. And my heart was kind of going, how do I know? You, you can say your steadfast love endures forever, but you don't know until you get to the cross. Now you know. God put everything on the line. You can trust him. That's where he put blood equity in it. The child of promise, that promised serpent crusher, the son of David, the son of God, the better Solomon came and he died for you. Very few people saw that one coming. <laughs> and then he rose from the dead for you. He conquered death for you. And he did it in part, to show you that he's more committed to you than you are to you. He's way more committed to this church than any of us. It's his church. He loves your kids more than you do, if you can believe that. He aches for reconciliation in your lives more than you do, if you can believe that. And he yearns for your holiness more than you do. 
The cross is the proof that when God starts a building project, he sees it through. You know, the end of this building project, flip to Revelation 21 this afternoon. You know, we talked about building a city, protecting a city, building a family, building a bride. Revelation 21, all those ideas come together beautifully as the city dressed as a bride comes down from heaven as our eternal future with the son of David, son of God, serpent crusher king on the throne forever. And the whole world is his temple. Come on. That's where this is going. Adam failed to keep watch in a garden. But Jesus kept watch in a garden. He did not fail, even when his disciples took a nap. He drank the cup. He set his face toward the cross. Adam's bride was built from his side while he slept. So was Jesus's when he died on the cross. The one who's pierced for our transgression. And he has never failed to protect his bride. Ever. So King Jesus is renewing all things. It's happening. And he's building an eternal family. You're part of it. And he wants to give you sleep. Sleep of the beloved. Knowing it's not our job, it's not your job to fix it. It's not your job to produce fruit and results. It's his. He's really good at it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your testimony in Scripture for more than just Psalms, more than just Genesis, for the whole story, the whole, the whole testament of your goodness, your steadfast love, and your commitment to us just baffles us. But we appreciate it. <laughs> we receive it. We praise you for it, Lord. We do not deserve the sort of care and protection that you put on us in our own merit. We praise you that you have united us to Jesus through your Holy Spirit, that you are preparing a place for us. You're still building. You have a home waiting for us, a heritage. Father, I pray for these people, these dear brothers and sisters, the burdens, the sorrow, the frustration. We plead with you in the name of Christ for your soul rest to be on us in such a way that those who know us best, that know our struggles, that know our anxieties, see us rested and praise you for your goodness and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.